broadcasting from a repurposed tactical flyer after the Battle of Zahia. This is Politrex. The Prime Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ, Welcome everyone to Politrex. We are a proud member of the Trek Geeks Network, and here on Politrex we look at the socio-political happenings of today and in history through the episodes, movies, and philosophies of Trek. We have all the takes, no matter controlled, calculated outcome. My name is Barry DeFord, and with me is my fantastic co-host, the often imitated, never replicated Mr. Shashank Avaru. Shashank, it was a absolute nightmare not having you at STLV this year, but you can be rest assured that most of my interactions that occurred between um, myself and our mutual friends or people who know you were, hey, Barry, how's Zod? Um, so you just, all you need to know there is everybody loves your dog. And us are, you know, we're kind of like, whatever. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad we are not in the picture anymore. Yeah, it's no, it's... the dogs that are the focal point. How is Zod? So I, I mean, it's the it's the obvious beginning to the eventual takeover of dogs of our planet. I, I imagine uh, my version of a Roddenberryan future is in which we just let the dogs take over and we just stay around worshiping them and having our lives revolve around them. Like cuddling with a dog is the job. I would be an amazing employee at that job. Yeah, we would. There would just that would be the only job. Is you pick up after dogs and you cuddle with them and you you sleep next to them and you teach them stuff. So agriculture, where does that factor in? <laughs> Dude, give me a second. I'm sorry. He he again put stuff in his mouth. My guards are. Hey, oh no, this is staying in hey. the recording. Hey, you have to stop being so annoying, buddy. See, folks, here on Politrex, not only do we wrestle with the political, socioeconomic happenings of today through the lens of Trek, we also wrestle with actual dogs. So you can be rest assured that you will always have the entertaining possibility that Shashank will be dealing with Z- with General Zod at some point. And also know that he does that when other people uh, are on our show and when he's on other people's shows. Zod is the secret master of everything. He has... He, he- he jumped and got a coaster and then ran to another corner because he knew I'll chase after him. But yeah. I don't know, man. Agriculture, we, who needs food when you have dogs, buddy? Well. I'm sure we'll figure something out. Yeah, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, things things do grow out of the ground if you let them, so. You know, I'll tell you this. In the year and a half that I've had him, I think I finally get what Archer and Spock in that one episode and just all the popular... Captains who love dogs, like Anson Mount, the actor. Mm-hmm. I get it, man. I get why people's lives, why why our lives become entangled with dogs. I wrote this really, uh, like this really emotional tweet the other day about how, you know, in spite of not looking anything like me, mm-hmm. never speaking the same language, mm-hmm. like just not connecting, like not looking at the world the way I do. No, they see it out of a completely different lens. Yeah, he... he conveys with me through just breathing and existing that he loves me more than anything or anyone and that's I, I don't know what what else is there in life than wanting that kind of unconditional love 
It's true. And that's what dogs are, is unconditional love. Today on Emotional Hour with Polytrack. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, that, that is, that is the, uh, that's the end-all be-all, and it's something that's wonderful. So we have an interesting uh, show for you folks today. We are going to be continuing our breakdown of the first two Star Trek Discovery series, looking at those kind of deeper, more political elements. We've got about three topics apiece that we're going to be going through. And I think, I, I hope at the very least, that we've got something novel that you all can and you know sort of take in and and work with because these are takes that you know kind of came out of my head traveling going places doing stuff reading whatever and they're things that's kind of bounce around that um i don't know i I think this is maybe the best part about podcasting is we can then engage this debate even larger so um i'm gonna shashank and i are gonna throw a couple interesting takes about discovery season two at you and uh if something sticks or if something kind of pokes in your brain kind of thing, uh, definitely uh, let us know on social media. How can people let us know those things on social media, Shashank? Really, the only social media that we do or are really active in is Twitter. People can find us on twitter.com slash polytrex. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. As you mentioned, we are a proud member of the Trek Geeks podcast network, so people can reach out to us via the Trek Geeks website too. That's trekgeeks.com. You can also leave us a voice message on the website. You can look at some of our cool merch on there. You can, I believe there's also an unofficial group on Facebook yes. that ties in with our uh, network, correct? Yes, they are called Camp Kittimer, and that is where you're going to be getting most of the discussion coming from me now uh, regarding Polytrex, and then, of course, any other Trek Geeks-related shows we do, like, for instance, with Picard coming up, anything else that Shashank may be involved in in the future. You'll be able to see that that discussion through Camp Kittimer, if you're on Facebook, you'll be seeing more of me than Chishank because Facebook is uh, kind of evil sometimes. So that's just the thing. I'm glad one of us is there to spread the gospel about Polytrex. <laughs> right? And uh, spe- let's start spreading that gospel, man. Let's get into the news. Let's get into it. everyone to the news. So there's a number of things that have happened since we spoke to you last, and it's almost difficult to not just do an entire episode on this and try to relate our Star Trekian uh, things to it. But um, we do have a season to cover as well. So I think this is probably the best place for Polytrex, the Twitter account, to start doing a bit more of the heavy lifting. We'll be maybe posting a bit more articles and such coming up um, as different stories develop, and we can use that has something of a new segment in and of itself where you, yes, you, the listener, can also join us. So the first one is, it looks like if you elect a proto-fascist, populist, uh, corporate, bought-and-sold piece of garbage, um, your forests will start burning down. Um, Jair Bolsonaro is the president of Brazil, and he was very out in his... In his anti-Amazon regalia when he was being elected, saying that, you know, there's nothing to protect about this forest, we need to be cutting it down to get farmland. So these forest fires are not simply just caused by lightning strikes and, you know, arid conditions. These forest fires are being um, brought about by people who are slash and burn clearing out parts of the Amazon so that they can grow cattle. 
specifically. So once again, this is just the outcome of when we hire complete and total clowns and buffoons. Uh, and I say hire because I don't know what else to say. If this is what happens when we when we uh, allow uh, when we vote in. Uh, pieces of garbage. And when I say we, I mean, the people of Brazil are ordinary working people as well. And it's unfortunate that their system is such that people like this can even get on the ballot. So it's it's very depressing right now to see that. And I mean, Star Trek talks a lot about environmental destruction and everything like that. I just really hate that uh, this is the part of the Trek lore that we get to live in. Hey, Shashank? At some point, it just, it stops even being funny. You know, there is the Nero playing his uh, harp while Rome burns irony and, and humor. But at some point, even that tragic gallows humor dies away. Just so you know, uh, um, there is actually a political ph- philosopher. Um, I forget his name exactly. Kind of looks like Santa Claus. He says the first time it's a tragedy. The second time it's a farce. Is it Socrates? It's Yes, it's Socrates. Um, he was some kind of bird man who lived in, um, I think he lived on the island of Crete. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's just, I'm going to do my best to try to encapsulate this, but there's a difference between Bajor and Starfleet. And there's a reason why you do not get as many Kai wins in Starfleet as you do Bajor. Because if, if you look at it from a certain lens, Bajor is kind of third world. Uh, it's it's still a it's it's much more of a developing place than a developed place that has its stuff figured out, and that's kind of the problem with countries like Brazil. Is that when you put power out to play, and it's weird that we'll immediately go back to talking about other third world countries today and what's going on there. But when you put power plays in in places where there isn't enough of an infrastructure to keep people's power in check. This, these are the things that happen. And the sad thing is, all of this was in the cards the day November 9th, 2016 happened. This is the world without an American leadership. Imagine had this been another president that respects the, the structure of world power and is not so Americocentric and is much more determined for different reasons to keep peace or some kind of stability in the world things like this would not be happening. And it's it's just, it's Kai Win in Bejor just taking over and the rest of the world, and we not having someone as strong as Cisco to help us out in all this. And we're just watching from Deep Space Nine, hoping that it all doesn't burn down. But the uh, literally, uh, some of the sad things about this are, I believe we will talk about the G7 some more, but the fact that the G7 offered... Brazil aid, and they rejected it uh, because the French president apparently insulted the prime minister or president of Brazil, and it's just they're they're quibbing, they're fighting over trivialities while the world literally burns. I don't know how, I don't know how we wrote our lives into a tragic poem. You know, it's, oh. we are witnessing it as as it as it happens. Well, maybe we. This is where we do connect over to the G seven and and that. I would I would support what you've said mostly in the sense that I think that there are people who could lead us out of this. But um, 
I don't know. I see the I see the people at G7 making choices and decisions and smiling and dressing up and, you know, funny little gaffes and all these sorts of things. And I just, it's just so much political navel gazing, Shashank. I, I don't even know what, what exactly, what, like, what, what does, what do any of these people have in common with the indigenous people in Brazil who are fighting for their lives right now? What do they have in common with the people of, uh, of, of Kashmir who are under an involuntary uh, lockdown right now and are now sitting on literally the front line of the apocalypse. Um, what is it, what does it say to, to people who are, are starving on, on reserves? Uh, you know, what, what sort of connection do they have to these people other than they are elected by a bunch of people who they've never met to, to do basically nothing. And I think this is again, a, a really good understanding that, stewardship comes from the people stewardship comes from us and we need to stop allowing ourselves to connect to these terrible people because i mean the the conditions that made the world of star trek were one of chaos and war and and sort of skyhooking ourselves into a post-scarcity society i I don't think that help is coming from anywhere i don't think the vulcans are going to spot us when you know heaven forbid it gets to the level that we need as ephraim cochran to refit a ballistic missile into a warp capable um, thing. But I just think in a lot of cases, what we're really dealing with here is the cold reality that these people don't have our interests in mind, and they never have, and they never will. And a f- the lungs of our planet can literally burn down, and they can still just carry on. And I think that's that, that for me is just the biggest frustration. It's interesting that we're struggling to find the metaphor to talk about it from a Star Trek lens. Mm-hmm. But uh, if anything, being a, a lover of politics, world politics, local politics, for the last two and a half-ish years, if there's mm-hmm. anything it has taught me, it's that all of it is just absolutely just useless. Uh, like for the lack of a better term, just useless like handshaking and talking and documents and communication that just really it's just a big exercise in nothingness. And the more we watch these people play with the lungs of the world and the environment and each other and their egos, I don't know, I don't know where who is really getting any benefit out of any of this, including themselves. I don't think it's healthy for them, even though they're the rich and the powerful. Yeah. I don't think it's healthy to do what they're doing. And I just they, we don't I don't think you and I can answer this. It's clear that they know who they are. They know their class. They know they know that they are the ones in power. They know they have the power. And they're going to do this their way, right? It is how it looks right now. And I just don't think that we should wait and, and see what they have in store for us. Because so far, I mean, what's the track record, right? I mean, we've had catastrophic inflation since the 1970s. We've had a, a debt economy that is now running on debt upon debt. And it, it just goes from crisis to crisis to crisis. And then we have these international disasters. Another one that I think our listeners really need to um, start focusing on and speaking to people in power about this and and really talking about it is the crisis that is unfolding in Shashank's home country um, in uh, India. And um, it is a battle over a province in northern India, which actually borders on uh, China and I believe one of the um, uh, Kyrgyzstan, I think. 
I can't remember exactly, but it's uh, an area of, uh, of, of the world called the Kashmir, and it's actually home to some of the highest mountains in the world, the Himalayas, and it has its own indigenous people there. Um, Kashmir is also kind of an area where Yeti sightings have been in the past. It has a deep, long-standing culture. It has a lot of uh, majestic beauty, uh, and it's really, really high up. The altitude there is, uh, is it, it would make people in Colorado uh, have trouble breathing. It's so uh, its altitude is so high, but Shashank, I'm gonna give you the floor on the non-geographical elements of all of this, and uh, maybe you can just tell us what's up, what's happening. The best way to understand it from a Star Trek perspective would be thinking of Kashmir as the neutral zone, and you can pick and choose depending on your POV and the way history is written. You can choose which one of them are Romulans and which one of them are Starfleet, but you cannot deny that. There is fault on both ends. But the biggest problem is when India gained independence in 1947, there was a big segment of the population that said, we are not comfortable with being in a country that brands itself on Hinduism and is determined to be a religious democracy. So we want our own country. And that's how all the Muslims moved to what is now Pakistan. And ever since then, the territory of Kashmir has been contested because Pakistan wants it. And even though the territory is drawn out by the British and the then Indian government and the Pakistani government that was formed did not include Kashmir as part of their territory, things have just progressed. And uh, that's just another podcast in itself, the whole right. Kashmir situation. But where we are now is the neutral zone is basically just being taken over in the name of laws and rules by India. India has completely, they have removed what you would call a special territory claim, meaning this is a place where you would allow for special permissions. And you're basically saying to the world, hey, we get that this is a contested territory and there are different kinds of people that live here. It's a very sensitive place and we don't want to stake claim and just take the ownership of it. But since Modi won his second term on a very outward nationalist bend on, oh, we are Hindus, this is a Hindu nation. When that kind of power is rewarded, when that kind of rhetoric is rewarded, this is the, the next step. The sad thing is, I am 27 years old. This is the fourth time in my life that we are now at a place where uh, I believe this morning, our time uh, the Pakistan prime minister is considering shutting down all airspace travel to India. Jeez. So they're, they're, they're completely sh blocking one huge segment of travel and transportation between these two countries. And this is the fourth time in my life that we are, we are at this position. Oh, weirdly, back in 2004, I believe was when we were at an all-time high. The border between India and Pakistan was open for the first time in almost a century. And there were buses traveling in between. And now things have slowly come back to where they were. But I don't know when this will stop. But it's I feel like an astronaut some days. Where, you know how astronauts talk about just the insignificance of things that happen on Earth when you go into space? Yeah. Some of my best friends are Pakistanis here. And they're people I have the best times with. And I don't know who this war is being fought for, in whose name it is happening. But 
they're they continue to play with lives like they're just little toy soldiers that you can throw around and and that's it it's just it, it, so where we are is starfleet has taken over the neutral zone or romulans have depending on how you look at india and the people there who do not belong under that particular government's rule are under violent threat it's not that different from the palestine israel situation because there are people that live there that are not technically indian citizens and they they now have to live with the fact that their generational homes and their families that they've rooted in there have will be taken away from them and it's just it's it's not good it's it's it is not good no and i'm sorry that that a country that has suffered under under colonialism right and i say country in the sense referring to bangladesh pakistan and india because they were originally one large british territory and the subjects of british colonialism and you know the the life of an indian uh, pakistani um you know people from all different parts right the deccan plateau to the himalayas right people who would speak dergu as their original language or um you know punjabi or, or anything like that these people are diverse and different and and dynamic and the history and culture of that part of the world is one of the cradles of humanity and to see all of that yeah like you say you know like toys people being thrown around i mean your workaday pakistani person and your workaday indian person has way more in common with each other than than the leaders of either country right and you see also you know that underhanded you know romulan-esque and sometimes maybe section 31-esque activity right i mean this we still aren't more than what 15 years away from the assassination of benazir Bhutto in um in in pakistan and we still are seeing this rise of populism within India as well. Um, I think I think culturally there is a lot of frustration that a lot of the wealth that India had was used by another country to enrich itself and make itself a superpower. And now India, even though it was hobbled by that you know number of centuries of of theft it's actually managed to pull itself into the position of being one of the rising superpowers. And I think this is a, um, an unfortunate connection to when we, we still participate in that colonial game, you get these dominant factors and factions attacking each other, right? I think about the colonial relationship between Romulus and Remus, right? The Remans were constantly under the yoke of the Romulans, and it was embedded into their society as something right. Um, when really, I mean, they share a common ancestry, much like Vulcans and Romulans do. And when you break that down, you start seeing what the people actually have in common with each other, and the fact that they no one wants this war. You're right, Chishank. I don't think any any self-respecting person in that area or anyone in the world would want this war. It, it's a fight over over territory that is sacred and should be protected. It's beautiful. And to think that there are lives being threatened now and the potential of lives being lost on a atomic level is is really frightening. But uh, let's, let's end off, uh, unless you have anything else to say, I think we should end off with the um, bit of good news that we'll, we'll uh, finish this new segment off with. No, of course. We should definitely talk about something really positive that's happening. And it's such a treat for fans everywhere because I believe it is a nationwide event. I believe it's happening in Canada too. But the 40th anniversary screenings of the motion picture are going to be happening September 13th and 15th, if I understand correctly across the country. 
That is true. And uh, I live nowhere near any theater that's going to be screening uh, said movie, but um, it is something really nice. And I and I don't know, it, it scratches the nostalgia itch in a lot of cases. But I think also, like, I got to see um, Raging Bull a couple years ago, and it was on the big screen. And it completely reestablished the importance of that movie to me. So I really think that as a cinematic piece, I mean, geez, to see those shots of the Enterprise from all of those angles, to see all of the amazing visuals that get created. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, the actors don't really know what to do with their arms. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, I mean, damn, I would love to see that. I would love to see that on the big screen. That would be that would be something to behold. Uh, it, and it's not just the visuals of the Enterprise, the the Vijay and we going into that neon purpley void. Just all all of it. Not only will it be wonderful to look at the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack oh, of ah, the yeah. motion picture. We'll just blast through those modern day speakers. I'm still very much a theater person. I like watching my stuff at the movies. I try to watch at least three movies a week. Yes, I am that person. Yes, I know I don't have a life. Shut up. The best part about going to the movies is just being in, taken away in that in that other world. And what better to do that, especially when all of us are suffering from the lack of a Star Trek four in the Kelvin timeline, is just soothing that by going and enjoying some TMP goodness. Absolutely. So there's some other good news out there. What uh, what do you got for us, Shank? Yes, we have a lovely listener named Brooke Horton, who a long time ago wrote a very nice tweet about how she found a reserve of our episodes and she listened to them and she really likes them. We stuck up friendship, I and Brooke, and it's definitely a lovely friendship. She's a wonderful person. We talk often. Uh, we are both just like you and I, we are huge DS9 nerds, and we love talking DS9. And anyway, she was at STLV, and we had made plans to meet up. But for those of you who are not in the know, uh, I could not go to STLV. I had to cancel at the last minute because my dog fell sick. It sucked. We were very unhappy that you weren't there. It, it was just a heartbreaking decision, but I was. I did my best to stay off Twitter and all social media just for those for that week because I could not watch people going and having a good time and not feel bad. But I couldn't help myself. There was so much breaking news. I was on there. I was looking at people. I was enjoying. I was happy that everybody else got to do it. Anyway, Brooke reached out and uh, a few days ago she said, "Hey, I know you missed Star Trek Las Vegas." I am sending you something that will serve as a bomb. That's the way she puts it for not attending STLV. And lo and behold, I come home today to a nice package and a sweet card that she wrote. And she's okay with me reading this. So I'm going to read it out. Human me, Barry. Absolutely. Dear friend, this year's STLV to-do list was all about meeting people. Sure, a few celebrities, but mostly long-distance friends to match voices with faces, and to simply enjoy the pleasures of proximity. My list was nearly fulfilled, but hey, there's no better time to start making next year's list. The name at the top? Shashank. I can only imagine how difficult it was to miss the gathering this year. You were missed by many. As a bomb, this small token. It reminded me of the episode of Polytrex that hooked me. I knew when I heard it that I'd want to be friends in Trek. Keep up the fine work and be happy and well, Brooke. Now, 
the bomb that she sent me, uh, uh, and it was just such a joy to open the box, is it's an action figure of the Traveler. Oh, yeah. Uh, loyal listeners of the show will remember episode two was two hours of me convincing Barry just how awesome the Traveler is. <laughs> right? We, we we just went straight into into the crazy deep dive stuff. Yeah. I was like, hey, if we're going to do this, people should start listening to my madman theories. And Barry just was like, I mean, if we're going to open it, Let's do something controversial. And we did. But, you know, most days this fandom is filled with just nonsense and people fighting and just so much garbage on the Internet. But every now and then just something sweet like this will remind me about the power of people in our fandom. And just it was it was such a joy and it was so profoundly nice of her to do that. And I don't know if I can thank her enough, but uh Rest assured, there will be a present for her at STLV next year. Well, it's those wonderful things that really do make me very happy to be a part of this entire fandom. And yeah, you're right. Getting to go to STLV and see those people again really was was something I needed. And I'm really happy that I got to see all of those wonderful, wonderful human beings. So if we did connect and you're listening, um, just know that I'm thinking about you. And uh, I, I can't wait to I can't wait until we meet again. So I think it's time we get on to the main topic. What do you say, Mr. Avaru? Hit it. Welcome to the main topic. Last time I had this really cool quote by Takuvma that uh, I started the season one topic about. I didn't do that this time. Uh, and I think mainly the reason behind it is in terms of a general focus of season two, there are some overt and some covert things that I think we want to talk about throughout all of this. So you're not going to get your summary. Uh, if you have not watched the Star Trek uh, Discovery season two yet, probably do that before you listen to this because we are going to be talking spoilers we're going to be talking pretty much everything that comes to mind as it happens so unless you are immune to spoilers and you're just fine with watching things that you already know the ending to that happened to me in the sixth sense and it completely ruined the movie so i don't believe you but one way or another this is a conversation um, by people who have seen the entire show and we would hope that most of you have had the chance to see the entire show. And if you haven't, um, see if you can. If you can't, um, we hope you get the chance too soon. So I have three kind of ish topics. I think, Shashank, you've got three kind of ish topics. And I think maybe what we can just start with is a general impression that would maybe lace into our first discussion. And I think that first discussion, let's maybe talk a bit about Spock. Sure. Much like the seven signals that are scattered across the galaxy in this episode, our focus is just all over the place. Right. Yeah. And that's just how this is going to work is we're just going to throw things at you because that's what season two of Discovery did. Just threw things at us and said, figure it out. You're going to need a uh, mycelial drive to keep up with us. Yeah. And just go and figure it out and we will see what happens. So that's what, that's what we are. Spock is a good place to start. But general impressions, I loved season two. I I can't get enough of this show. It, it definitely seemed like they took a lot of the criticism from season one. And people will hate me for this, but I still prefer season one because, because I'm such a mirrored universe nerd. And I love anything that has to do with brutalist architecture. <laughs> but 
it, no, season two was great. I can objectively say as a story person and as a dialogue person and just someone who understands words that they really took criticism that they got in season one. Yeah. And they played to their strengths. And the ending really threw us all, of course, that was completely unexpected, which I really liked. But leading up to it, we have a lot of thoughts. Starting with Spock, I'd like to say much like the Kelvin timeline Kirk in the Star Trek 2009, the Spock that we meet here is still becoming the Spock that we'll get to know. Like there are so many things you learn about him. The most fascinating thing I learned in this season was that he is dyslexic and he has a learning disability. The more you want to connect to these characters, the more Star Trek finds a way to really make them relatable. Back in the 60s, when you first saw Spock, his big connectivity or the connective tissue was that he is an interracial creature. He comes from two different races. And this was back at a time when the, the civil rights movement was strong in the US and people are still grappling with racism across the country. And today we are at a place where there are so many profound learning issues that kids are having these days, like learning disabilities, like dyslexia, like ADD that are being diagnosed. And the fact that they touch on that using that very same character by showing him in his youth and all his follies, that was pretty beautiful to me. So I really enjoyed Spock. I think Ethan Peck was awesome. And the last moment that we get on them with him back in his attire that we see him in in the pilot, it's it was just, it was very well earned. And I'm glad I got to experience that. And I love science. <laughs> I do too. And I agree with you that that this is a great way to further delve into the myth that is Spock, right? Spock has always sort of been the heart and soul of Star Trek in and of itself. And I think that in this case, Spock doesn't necessarily take that role this time. We get a bit more of an aloof version of Spock. We, uh, we get the cold shoulder from him at the beginning as he just simply isn't on camera, right? He's still doing things and he's still an actor, but we don't get to see him right away. And I feel I felt like a lot of people were kind of like, get on with it. Okay, we get it. Yep, you're going to reveal Spock. Okay, cool. But I think to do that, they needed to establish a few things before throwing Spock in. You can't just drop the star, really, right? He is, he's the big connector, I would say, next to the Enterprise and then to Pike, that, that we really want to make sure that his entrance gets the context, it gets the pieces that it deserves. So, Getting this Spock, who we delve into the childhood of a lot more, it 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 builds and adds credence to a design that was from the 1960s, right? Matt Jeffries designed the Enterprise, and each character that was inside of that Enterprise is an embodiment, I think, of that model, right? To see the original TOS Enterprise. Um, with that recalibration when TMP happens, we get the slight changes and the variations, and, you know, and arguably a soft reboot out of that movie. And we still see Matt Jeffries' design happening. And I would say that to some degree, you can say that the Kelvin Spock is the refit Enterprise version of Spock. And I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that Spock is the iteration of this Enterprise and Discovery. He kind of harkens me more to like an Excelsior class. And I don't know why I'm comparing him to ships necessarily, but he has a lot of those continuities, but he has a bit more flair, I think is the best way to put it, right? He's not in a uniform. He's got a bit more of an attractive quality. I mean, 
I'm not not going to say that uh, uh, ladies and gents and uh, non-binary folk didn't find him attractive in the 60s. I think Spock has always sort of had that quiet sort of handsomeness or attractiveness to him. But Ethan Peck definitely adds a bit more of a flair to that. I think he's got, even underneath his his logic, there's a bit of a flamboyancy to his characterization of Spock. And it had a lot to do in his gestures and it had a lot to do in what he was wearing. So I think it was a really neat way of, of, of putting him in the story. And I think you're right. This is definitely when we say about first impressions, I didn't necessarily buy the end very much, but we can talk about that a little later. I'm just glad that in this case, they have listened to the audience and said, said, fine, you don't want these guys interacting in this part of the prime universe. So we're just going to chuck the baseball down the road a little bit down the, uh, down the, the the line of time a bit. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they have to do. This season was a good bridge, I think, in a lot of ways. Those are great points. And I think even if I go back in a year when people are talking about the hipster Spock when we first saw Ethan Peck, and this goes to show how quick we are to judge things. And there, there are a bunch of people who were like, oh, it's hipster Spock. Nobody's going to care. He has a beard. Ha, ha, ha. It's not, It's an insult to the character. And it was just like there was so much happening even before we actually saw the show. I'm sure there were a lot of people who eventually saw the show and were like, hey, I judged this character too quickly. And that was kind of fascinating to me. Not only is it the the fascination that I have with the character that eventually becomes the Spock that we know, the fascination is also... In watching the community, people who are big enough to admit that, hey, now that I've actually seen it, I can't deny this is such a good, this is such a good character, and I like the growth, and I like the the strength with which they took the story forward. They were not afraid to show some of the weaknesses of the character, and I think one of the braver things that people will remember season two for is the fact that you're filling in the gaps by showing me who Spock is. Or was before he became the Spock, I know. Because even if you watch the Kelvin Timeline movies, even in Star Trek 2009, he's kind of already there, especially mentally and intellectually. Of course, he has to overcome what becomes the central point of O9's story arc, which is the the grief that he's dealing with. But it's not as bad as in, in season two, where he's basically kind of a lunatic in the asylum, when we see him in the beginning, just tied up in a room, writing on walls and crying and mumbling to himself and speaking gibberish until he actually comes to terms with everything. So I like that they were brave enough to do that. And it was it was just... He was an awesome ride. I, I have no complaints about Spock. I think Ethan Peck deserves all the love he's getting from fandom. He really did justice to the character. Yeah, I think Ethan Peck has a lot of a lot of talent, and he's done a lot of a lot of homage. But again, like Zachary Quinto, he has taken elements of Spock to be his own. And I think where you see that, I think best best developed is actually when he's in that you know relatively catatonic state where he is come unstuck from time. You know, he's not like Billy Pilgrim in Slaughterhouse Five, where he's imagining himself in a zoo or anything like that. But he is finding it very difficult to perceive reality in a way that we would understand it you know if you come unstuck from time and 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 find yourself in the fourth dimension it, it would be very difficult for us to understand 
what that would look like if you were able to see time not as something solid and and forward moving as we perceive it, but as something dynamic and can shift and change and and you know move much more like we would through space, right? And and I think that's of course where we get into the concept of the red angel and the paradoxes that you know the red angel kind of creates, right? I feel like they they looked at time travel in this kind of like Bill and Ted would or sort of like time zero. It definitely follows a Star Trekian continuity of how time works that you can go back and you can, you know, potentially even interact with yourself. I would say that my understanding is more kind of the block universe theory where time is actually something that is solidified with space in the universe we live in and our lives are like little filaments that follow along it. So if you do travel in time, you could travel back or forward in time, but you would just be yourself completely unaware that you've traveled to this point and you would make all of the same decisions you already have because time and space are a block universe and basically the future and the past have already happened. Our lives and deaths, Shashank, have already happened and this conversation is currently happening too. So, Well, if that's the case... (laughs) Uh, I want to say two things. One, I know we talked about him earlier, but you know who else proposed that nonlinear definition of time and the fact that we couldn't, we don't really understand it the way we should and that time and thought just have whole new definitions that we as humans cannot understand? It's the traveler. Oh, <sighs> right. <laughs> who is basically the traveler of our of our conscious <laughs> existence. But no, you're absolutely right. Where the hell was the traveler? That is my number one critique, good sir, of Star Trek's Discovery Season 2. Where the hell is the Traveler? He should have been like, he should have just like appeared and been like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, ladies and gentlemen, let me in my funny hands figure this whole thing out. Honestly, that's my complaint with everything in Star Trek since that Season 2 episode (laughs) of TNG. Where is the Traveler? I would like to see the Traveler, sir. I would like to speak to the manager of this universe, and see where Traveler is. But my second uh, complaint is, I guess if we have all already died and that has happened, can we confirm that in my afterlife I get to see Zod again? Because that's really all I want. Um, yes. So according to the quantum filament hypothesis about the universe is, is actually when you die, you just start your life over again. And you do the exact same thing you have did before, making all the same choices, being completely unaware that you are living the same life again, because time is sort of a relative thing in the way our brains perceive time is only in this linear fashion, meaning the person you are now is the person you've always been for eternity and always will be for eternity. So be sure to be a good person. And that also has hearkenings to cause and effect, which is perhaps a little more closer to the linear fashion of time where people are reliving stuff. But in, in that case, of course, our, our intrepid crew of the uh, and of the Enterprise managed to figure out that there is something amiss. Thank you, Data. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, do you see any holes or anything like that in the way they portrayed the actions of Michael Burnham versus her mom in the, um, in the suit, in the red, red angel suit? Sure. And I guess if you, you, okay, I'm not trying to defend season two. God knows if you have not jumped on board by this point, you're not going to jump on board, (laughs) but no piece of fiction is perfect, especially not one that deals with concepts that we basically know nothing about okay everybody wants to say they want to do something about time travel nobody knows what time travel is because none of us have ever actually gone back in time we travel in time we just keep going forward yeah we are time travelers but like on a conveyor (laughs) yeah we're that conveyor is not going to stop 
that thing has been fueled until the end of eternity and we are just going to be on it walking and walking and walking at some point we just fall off that's just how the universe works and everything else you come up with as far as time travel goes so you there are i could poke holes in the time travel mechanism in end game avengers end game which is the biggest movie in the world and so i guess people could do that all the time and i i know you have some theories on it so i'll let you get to it but i think in the larger scope those were something that i could forgive and i could see the point of what they were trying to do you know my only real big critique and this is an unfortunate conundrum that i'm in because i've mentioned this on other other shows that deal with discovery you know from disco track to discovering track and even on here we've talked about it that i really like the special effects and that last battle really was wonderful but i almost worry that it kind of blurred the intentions and outcomes of what needed to happen to resolve the story and I would say, you know, we're going to get into control in a second here. I think it, it, it has the most to do with the story of control within it. I think that the concept of of Michael Burnham's mom sort of standing vigil, trying to save her daughter and having the power to do that, to actually augment time itself and, and work to save her, her daughter is a abhorrent violation of, of I think, a lot of united federation of planets uh, principles but at the same time what mother wouldn't do something like that and for michael burnham to move forward and sort of blaze that time traveling trail to get the crew to do the things necessary to defeat control i think in terms of all of the puzzle pieces there are a lot that are missing and a lot of people have already said quite a bit about those missing pieces but what i would say kind of more than anything is when action is used to obscure a story part that doesn't necessarily hold true it can it can make that action feel a little bit less impactful and i think that's kind of where i got with it the characterizations and the storyline itself are, are really great and i i enjoyed how discovery season two really took some risks with like as we mentioned with spock and character but also in storytelling and trying to weave this you know inverting story of time travel and and moving from you know kind of dimensions and and stuff like that um that they did in the last season and and this i think they're still taking a lot of risks and i think we need to allow for that because uh, i mean one of the best arguments i've heard for the way things are going in star trek is season two of of a lot of our favorite shows uh, in star trek aren't necessarily that good comparatively i think i think there was a lot of action i think this is entertaining i think it's a lot of fun and i want to see where this goes i want to see what the bridge is going to be now where they're going to go next there is still a little bit of hyperactivity i find to the way the plot is carried out but i think again it is sort of maybe a bit of a nature of its time in terms of storytelling i am kind of not puzzled but i'm and not frustrated but somewhere in in between both of those i i think i am in an ambiguous emotional state when it comes to just talking about Michael in general, because season one, she dealt with the loss or the fact that she kind of let her actions led to the death of her own metaphorical parent. And then season two, she has to deal with the truth that comes out of the actions of a literal parent. And I would really like for them, no matter what they do in season three, to just stop doing stories about Michael's parents or uh, because it's great that we have a female officer who is the center of the show and it's awesome that we get to see her plots and I would really like to 
to see what happens when she comes into her own, which is, again, what I like about season two's end is they aggressively said, we're going to take off and we are just going to go so far, nothing you know or have known will be the same again. And that's just such a cool, creative place to write yourself into. And it presents for a lot of interesting directions that they can take the whole thing in. Like I'm convinced that Calypso's Vidresh, or if I remember correctly, is Federation. Oh yeah. And they've kind and they've kind of just completely gone off course. And that'll be an interesting place for them to go, uh, creatively. And I think they can save the really traditional Star Trek stories for the Pike Show. And at this point, if you don't think a Pike Show is happening. I can, I have a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you. It's just the the number of things that have happened. That show is definitely coming. I'm sure at this point they're just breaking story and they want the right story. That's what they're working on before they announce it. But back to season two and talking about just all the things that you mentioned, I can understand your points uh, and I definitely see them and can empathize with a, a viewer who feels the way you do. But I think that with season two, they were like, yeah, we're done. We're not going to give ourselves any more excuses. We're just going to take off and see what we do when we go far, far away. And it's it's just, it's bonkers, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm on that ride. I'm ready for it. It's like Voyager on steroids, right? They're not in the Delta Quadrant. They are in time they've traveled. Uh, basically, I would say the equivalent of the Del- Delta Quadrant. Because I feel like if Voyager was traveling at maximum warp, it would probably be arriving at the time Discovery is arriving <laughs> um, in the Alpha Quadrant. So that that's kind of a neat way of thinking about it, Had you know how, how it should have ended or maybe if things were different. Um, yeah, just touching on Burnham really quickly. Sinequa Martin-Green is... She's everything. Oh my God, she's so talented. And she's everything. She, she sold the character very well. I think she sold the the sort of Burnham must suffer sort of uh, feel that, that we kind of get from her in specific in this. And I think Pike must suffer as well. There's a lot of suffering um, in this. And I, I would like to see that expanse more. I would like to see more about the crew. I think we have a very good understanding of Michael Burnham. And Sinequa Martin-Green has done a fabulous job of doing that. There were times that I felt like they Frodoed her a little bit um, and really just unnecessarily made her just suffer a lot. Sinequa Martin-Green manages to to sell that suffering, and it's really hard for me to watch that. Like, I, I don't know. I'm the type of guy who has a problem with watching The Hunger Games because I don't like watching kids die, and I, yes, I know they're not actually dying, but I, I can't divorce my, my thought process from that. So watching her suffer so much was a little bit... Um, taxing for me where i was like okay i want to see her in action more i want to see her fighting i want to see her you know doing that that you know more xena warrior princess kind of deal but at the same time i i can feel i can feel where they're going with this and what they want to do and i think there is going to be a lot of um next steps for burnham coming up and a lot more story when it comes to the rest of the crew because now it's them they're kind of contained a bit more so control I think it's interesting. Yeah, let's talk about control. <laughs> I think it's interesting how Star Trek portrays artificial intelligence because it encapsulates a lot of what other science fiction and speculative fiction have sort of made a choice on, right? If you're in the Terminator franchise, artificial intelligence is always going to be malevolent, conniving, calculating, and 
ready to destroy you. However, it can still be utilized by human beings for their purposes, but on a very limited scale. If you look at the Star Wars universe, there is something a lot more utilitarian to their artificial intelligence. And outside from sort of your your classic droid with a bit of an attitude, um, the new ones who I don't know the names of, but obviously there's C-3PO and R2-D2. And, you know, they're kind of like the, the, um, the bickering bandits that they ended up being. There is something kind of lesser than with with their artificial intelligence. They kind of come off as sort of like the the peasant uh, class of of that universe. But in Star Trek, artificial intelligence is sort of all of those things at once. It is something to get frustrated at when the computer is having a problem. Say in in the um, in uh, the animated series, right when it calls Kirk a jerk and all that sort of stuff, or when you're looking at at the sort of the Pinocchio style arc of data trying to imagine his real humanity and who he is and 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 whatnot to you know these horrifically malevolent forces like control or like the borg or um you know even even looking at the comics that we looked at with the guys on literary trek shout out um, to uh, dan and bruce on that one but i think i think control is this sort of looming threat that unfortunately kind of got a bit of an ignominious end. I felt like there's a lot of buildup. And again, in that sort of obscuring final battle, which was a like total candy to watch, like complete and total eye candy to watch and one and, you know, interesting and entertaining. I feel like in that, um, a lot of people pointed out some, some points on control where they were like, well, like what, what exactly is control's motivations to like end all life? Like, I felt like that was probably the weakest plot point that was very much utilized to stir the plot forward. Like it, it wasn't a plot point that was out of place and it has its part in it all. But um, I feel like they could have spent more time with it specifically rather than the amount of other things that people had to face. Now, this goes against a lot of people being frustrated with last year's Discovery Season 1 being not very episodic. So here I am saying, why aren't we getting a more concise story that deals with one thing and rather than being episodic? And I think the point of that is, is that's just not how TV is. If we want an episodic Star Trek, then we need 24 episodes and they should be self-contained. If we're doing the 15 to 20 like we're seeing right now, then make it a solid storyline and focus on things a little bit more. Give us give us some more of that. I, I, I did like the idea of control and even, I mean, even implications of it being something to do with the Borg. Personally, I hope that doesn't end up happening, but who knows, right? Okay. Here are my thoughts on control. If there is anything that Hollywood has taught me, it's that all of artificial intelligence is basically a volcano. And we are all at the mouth of the volcano. And right now, there is enough flame coming out for us to roast our marshmallows and do our barbecues and just enjoy them and keep living. But at some point, that thing is going to burst. And we are just going to be consumed in the lava that comes out. And they took that trope with control, but they didn't do anything new with it. That was one of my big, big uh, complaints about the way they used control and AI. Like if you look at section 31, they took a spy organization and the way they wrote it into the story really turned things around for me on, on it took, it was a new take on spies and dark networks and networks within networks and a government within a government. That was pretty cool. They had an opportunity here, and instead of doing that, they went the same old route of, oh, evil AI. And yeah. that was one of my, my big complaints. And like the, if I take that part out, people can say what they want about season one. But at the end of season one, 
I knew exactly what Takuma wanted, who was one of the villains. I knew exactly what Lorca wanted, who was one of the other villains. And I knew exactly what the Klingons wanted once they came back. I still do not know, after having watched season two three times, what Control wanted. And I, I felt like as the show was progressing, they were like, oh, Control at this point will take over Leland so there can be a cool fight scene between Spock and Michael and Leland. Or Spock in between and the computer, the scene that happens. And then they're like, oh, we're getting to the end. Let's say, uh, you know what? Control wants to go into the future so they can take this thing away. Let's make Control do that so we can throw them into the future. And I feel like they're kind of coming up with it on the fly. Not that, yeah. I, again, it's not a complaint as much as it is an, an unemotional observation about the way they were taking the plot forward. The, the the fact that season two still works and it works so well is completely because they nailed the story of Pike and Spock and Michael and the crew. They just did not have a villain powerful enough to see that through. I honestly, at some point, if they said, screw it, we're bringing Lorca back, I would have loved to see a Pike versus Lorca story. Yeah. And I mean, if that's the plot and that's where it wants to go, show me that. Don't come up with a villain that we all already kind of know and just make them do whatever so we can take them to this point. I felt like at the end, even though the end is spectacular and a really cool thing that they do and makes things much more exciting for Discovery, the fact that it kind of felt like control was there just so they could get there, like it was a stepping stone and not really an obstacle in their way was kind of my biggest complaint about control yeah. and just the villain problem that Star Trek has. And Star Trek does have a bit of a villain problem. You're absolutely right. And I think that when we think of control and what it was supposedly capable of doing, I mean, it really shouldn't have been outsmarted so easily, especially if it is using, you know, calculations and stuff like that to understand that the that they are being attacked by a time entity. They're able to calculate and plan for those sorts of things. They they they're under they, they understand human behavior, right? And I mean that's the fear of artificial intelligence that it will become more human than human. It'll become smarter than us. It'll be able to anticipate our actions because we only have the limit of our brains. But if, if, if artificial intelligence manages to reach a, a point of singularity, then it could ostensibly not only be able to see us so incredibly differently from how it sees us now and how we see it. I mean, it would be much like us, the way we perceive an ant, right? An ant doesn't want to die. It will run from you. It, it has a purpose in life. It has things it wants to do. But I mean, you don't really care if you step on it. I mean, you or I might personally, but I think like if you came in in tears to your place of work and said, I stepped on an ant today, people would think you were crazy. And I think it has a lot to do with you know, we're not trying to argue the sentience or non-sentience of any other animal on the planet. What we're basically saying is, is levels and orders of computational ability of your, of your brain makes you perceive reality in the world completely differently. And I think that that was maybe where we could have looked at control a bit more. The problem with it, and I think this is the big problem and the big argument against everything you and I have said, Shashank, is we are talking from dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore lore heavy um both the character and the concept in storytelling um lore heavy star trek that we want to see these these risks taken we want to see them delve into the deepness of the human mind but remember they've got shareholders and board members who want to see something that's going to sell fast and i think to some degree you're saying maybe they were doing it on the fly i wouldn't doubt that they were 
and 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 it probably was that they knew that this part of the story was going to be something that's going to hook your more casual viewing public. And you know, it harkens a bit to the whole Marvel Avengers Thanos thing. It harkens to Terminator. It harkens to people who watched Best of Both Worlds and know a bit about the Borg. It, it definitely checks a lot of boxes. So I think maybe our biggest struggle as fans of Discovery right now is we've got writers and actors and producers and people who are really trying to stay true to what the fandom wants. But at the same time, they also need more than just the fandom because unfortunately in the capitalist system we live in, you need to turn a profit. And that's got to be their bottom line as it stands. Okay. I'm glad we talked about that. That was my biggest negative, And I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that was kind of one of your biggest ones too. But much like the narratives of good stories, there are peaks and valleys. And we're, we're going to get back to the peaks. Tell me what you thought about uh, Tyler's arc in this season and his arc and mother's arc in general, or Laurel, however you'd like to call her. I just want to give her respect so I don't yeah. get thrown down a mountain. Absolutely. Well, I would say that I, I appreciate the amount of Klingon uh, story that they were able to get in. And that, for me, I'm really hoping, indicates that there's going to be more Klingons in the future. And though they're moving to a bazillion, gajillion years in the future, that we are still going to get some kind of connective tissue with Tyler and Laurel's character, their romance, their child, um, more information about all that. I actually kind of feel like... um, like their child sort of he he sort of fulfilled his purpose for the whole thing i think he's pretty good one way or another but um no i do i do truly hope that uh, this is an indication that those characters are going to get explored further and i think maybe that's kind of where we're at with spock and pike and number one that these characters who are playing a bit more of a peripheral role um maybe to a degree stole the show a little bit but we'll get into that in a second how about you how are you with uh, with the klingon storyline Oh, you know, anything they do with Klingons. I just want them to inject it into my eyeballs. I love the Klingons. And though they're my people. I feel like I connect a lot more to Klingons and Ferengis on any day than I do with Starfleet. Hmm. And I just, in general, love the direction that the Klingons have taken in Star Trek Discovery Season 1. I really appreciate the Season 2 stuff. The action was pretty cool that we got to see. The, the fights, especially between uh, the the few fights that we got in, in the Klingon world, those were pretty cool to see. And I, I don't know if I'll see them in season three. I'm not counting on it. I think we'll see them back in season four when they get back to our or whatever the discovery timeline will be at that point. But for what I got, I was able to appreciate it. And I just am going to miss a brown man being on the show in season three. So I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Okay. I think we'll get more. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's, uh, we, you know, we've got uh, a pretty good representation happening on the crew. And I they have ultimately, I just want to get to know them better. So um, uh, Discovery writers and people who actually have the power in making this a thing um, from us, the lowly Politrex, please um, incorporate more of the cruise story, um, but don't kill them off as fast, please. You, 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 you got, you got uh, Culber in the first one, and thanks for bringing him back. And then you got us with Arium, so um, stop that. Uh, and uh, let's just get to know them better. And that's okay. We don't mind if they're, you know, if they're in danger and we're worried they're going to die, and they don't. We know that you have the propensity to kill characters. So at this point, anything you do to cause suspense will make us really think you're going to kill them. So I just really want to get to know these characters better. (laughs) Getting to know another character, though, and I think this is a good place to end things, is talking about Anson Mount's characterization of Captain Pike. Um, What can I say? (laughs) By the way, before you carry on, they also killed Comwell in season two. Oh, right, yeah. 
Yeah, no. Uh, let's let's leave that part in. You're right, and and missing Cromwell, and I think I think again maybe a little bit lazy on how she died specifically, but the purpose of her character atoning um, for things she felt she had to do in the past. Uh, I do think that there was a nice sort of kind of rounding of her story. Another one of my little complaints is if whatever room she was in had a door that could guard us from such an explosion, why wasn't the entire ship made out of that material? Like it's it was it's just like. And uh, that's where the control thing falls apart. But hey, yeah, uh, yeah Cap- Captain Pike. Dude, uh, If Memory Serves is my favorite episode of season two. The fact that they actually go back to Taylor's four in that in that episode is pretty insane. I was not expecting that. I don't know how many people were, but I wasn't. I was like, there is no way they're going to go back this to this and do that justice. But they nailed it. I really liked the way the Taylor's four aliens looked. The Telosians. I really liked everything they did with that particular story arc. And I think a, an episode like that is really where Pike shines. And it, it shows why that was such a good decision to bring Anson Mountain. He was a welcome breath of fresh air from what we got from Lorca. And there is a, still hashtag justice for number one, because I think we really got it for like two scenes, which was such a crime. Uh, but... I think the Spock number one and Pike pairing works very well. Mm-hmm. And it's in part because Anson Mount just, I think he's just such a good actor. He cannot help but have chemistry with everything. I'm sure if I put a broomstick next to him and they make a whole season with just him talking to a broomstick, I would buy it. I'd be, oh, I want to know more about that broomstick now, what that relationship is. But yeah, Anson Mount nailed it. Uh, Pike was great. And uh, the fact that they foreshadowed the tragedy that would happen to him. And he was such an able, competent leader. It was nice to see in a series that does not have the best male characters to actually have a clean-cut good guy. Just there, somebody who'll stand up for and do the right thing. And just that be his arc. His arc is, I am a good person. Yeah, How the hard incorruptible, is that? The incorruptible, yeah. the innocent. And I think that that maybe ties in to how we can perceive and see Pike's character characterized. We uh, Shashank and I had the uh, distinguished privilege to be on Trek FM's literary treks with uh, Bruce and Dan. And I had made a mention that maybe Pike is something of a Kennedy to Star Trek fans. And just to maybe tease that a little bit, because I would say go and check that episode out to hear the further discussion on it. But in American lore, I mean, if you're if you don't agree with this take, you can at least agree that this is the take that some people have, that that John F. Kennedy is very much um, a legacy president, right? You know, he he came up with the idea of going to the moon, right? He was instrumental in a lot of uh, areas of um, of civil rights and the civil rights movement, he definitely injected a lot of uh, new energy into what what people were perceiving the presidency to be at the time. Um, there are those who would argue completely against that. And I mean, my understanding of material history definitely puts a pretty critical stance on some of the things he did, especially during the Cuban Missile Crisis and getting America enmeshed into the Vietnam War. That said, if you just think of it from a pure, purely lore-based analysis, um, you know, Pike is a character who is offed in a lot of cases just by the fact that that pilot didn't work back in the 60s. He's then horribly disfigured, and the character who played him originally, Jeffrey Hunter, dies tragically uh, at a very young age in the late 1960s. So in a lot of cases, Pike has a lot of area to go, but uh, Jeffrey Hunter's portrayal of Pike is a very caring, reflective, 
some of his parts kind of captain. And I really think that Anson Mount catches that. And he diffuses the toxicity within masculinity. And he is a nurturing, caring, tactful team player of a captain who truly does love and adore his crew and loves what he does and is very much committed to that higher standard, right? When he's holding that time crystal and he sees his end, he sees how this is going to finish for him. And he he tells himself, you're a Starfleet officer, right? Like this is, this isn't below you. You, you, how you've made a commitment and you're going to follow it through. And I think for young men, especially to see this kind of role model who is so nurturing and caring and strong in that respect, I think, um, I think Pike is a, is a stellar example of something very beautiful and something that we can really build into our lore as uh, Star Trek fans. I mean, Pike gets a, gets a bit of a resurrection here and, and nothing against Bruce Greenwood in, um, the Kelvin times time, uh, line. Of course he, he, he plays that very much sort of nurturing father figure for Kirk, um, which is another good do that Pike gets. But uh, this one, this one really hits home, and I think that's why Anson Mount manages to steal the show in a lot of cases. Is he he really does link up with I think what it means to be a leader, and uh, it's really great to see. Okay, before we get out of here, I have a few quick questions that I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite character in the second season? You can't pick Pike. That seems to be everyone, but you can't pick Pike. I'm sorry. So my second favorite <laughs> character, um, you know, if I was if I was a betting man on people who maybe we haven't seen the last of, who could end up being something something much much more and something much much larger and greater as they start building their character more um, and I don't think they're going to off him again is probably Dr. Culber he had to had to come to terms with himself and he did it very quietly in the corner um, throughout a lot of this but Wilson Cruz is just you know he was rescued by Stamets but by no means is Dr. Culber a damsel in distress to be to be rescued. He is very strong and he has a lot of fortitude and the amount that he's been through as a person. I think when it comes to separation from those you love and the world you live in, I think Dr. Culber is going to be really instrumental in coaching the crew through what it's like to be completely detached from who they are anymore uh, now that they've moved into the future. And I really hope Wilson Cruz gets that due to play the character of of dr culber who yeah i mean just a phenomenal actor and it was an honor to meet him two years ago uh, or last year sorry at uh, stlv and uh, though he almost certainly doesn't remember me uh, it was a really good moment for me how about you and you can't pick pike yeah i said you can't pick pike because i can pick pike but, but then no. you trumped me at that game now my favorite character from season two is the little bridge that comes out in discovery that can connect to other ships so you can move people that is not a character <laughs> i would have hey, taken one of those little worker bots that came out of don't the Enterprise. be don't be specious barry no my species fa- that's a structure <laughs> that's not even a species Metal can speak. Has Wally not taught you anything? Uh, oh, boy. No, my favorite character in season two, if it's not Pike, I'll have to pick Michael Burnham. Because in spite of everything that happened, what happened to her is such a great tragedy. And one that I cannot imagine living through and dealing with everything that has happened in her life. And the fact that in season two, you get moments. in it, It's not episodes. It's not really even scenes. But you get moments in which you kind of can see things getting better for her, little by little, drop by drop, 
interaction by interaction she's that all that ptsd she has built up in her there is some light coming into that tunnel and i think pike was a big step in that and just everything that happened in that crew imagine in season 1 we're talking about if she can even be in starfleet at the end of season 2 we're talking about hey maybe she's going to be the next captain of the ship yeah uh, and the fact that they that arc went through and she got to have that interaction with her mother and it was just such an unexpected unpredictable turn of events and the fact that she continued to stay true to herself and the crew and the fact that she took us 930 years in the future we're going to see where that goes but i am i am going to be there first day first viewing of the first episode of season 3 i'm very excited and the fact that she stood toe to toe Sonika Martin Green with someone like Anson Mount and Ethan Peck and just brought her a, a acting a game just shows why she's on top of the call list on that show and why she's the person that spearheads that show so for a lot of reasons my favorite character in season 2 is Michael Burnham what was your favorite episode i told you mine through the valley of shadows it was a uh, it was a very um emotional episode i missed a phone call uh when i was watching it um i was i was very much encapsulated by um by Anson Mount's performance in that moment um it was it was a thing um yeah it was it was something that i can't unsee and it it definitely is going to go down for me in a very important as a very important part of star trek what are you looking forward to most in season 3 let me let me end with that i feel like that that would be a good place to go okay well i and i'll ask this of you but this is also going to be a bit of a plug i okay. think that season 3 we are going to see a character who has had no mention so far in our entire discussion and i think deserves their own episode uh of of you and me talking about all of the implications of their arc from the short treks all the way to the very very end and that's Saru. I think Saru needs the captain captaincy next year in season 3. I know we you were just saying maybe Michael Burnham gets it. No, I want to see Saru take the take take the chair and get it the whole the whole entire season and more exploration into Doug Jones's character and who he is and all those sorts of things. So if those of you who've been listening to the episode so far and you've been screaming into your phone or computer, why are you not talking about Saru? It's because he needs his own episode, frankly. And uh, we might even see if we can get some guests on to talk about it as well. But uh, we need a Polytrex of Saru, I think. What do you think, Shashank? That sounds awesome. I hope that happens. Uh, I will be the happiest person on the planet if that happens. The thing I'm looking forward to most in season three is just how destroyed the Federation is and how bad things are when when they get there. The whole crew realizes they are persona non grata. The the whole thing becomes a chase for them going away from this timeline into the future while just thinking about, oh my god, how did things get screwed up this badly? Which is basically what all of us have been thinking for the last two years. So it's nice to know that there is some empathy and connection in the fact that even in all that future we humans managed to screw things up and we get to see how the best of us deal with that. Here is to the next season. So if you want to continue the discussion, you can find Polytrex on the Twitters at Polytrex. It's P O L I T R E K S. You can also find us and start some of those bigger conversations. I promise I'll start popping on to Camp Kitmer a little more often. So if you have a Polytrex based question on there, remember Camp Kitmer is a um 
anti-discovery free zone. And also if you're going to be doing anything specifically political where you want to badmouth any political figures, um, we'll have to figure that out uh, in the future. But uh, we would like to keep Camp Kittimer relatively apolitical. But uh, if you want to talk about larger sort of socio-political or maybe philosophical things about Star Trek, I am totally there for that. You can find me at on Twitter at Bjorn de Fjord, B-J-O-R-N-D-E-F-J-O-R-D. And Shashank, where can we find you? People can find me on at gutter underscore hero. That's G-U-T-D-E-R underscore H-E-R-O on Twitter. Although I'm kind of having a love-hate thing on Twitter right now. That's always been my weird relationship with social media. It's just some days it just takes a lot of energy to be on there. So, hey, if you are... Like me, someone who likes letters and emails, we can also definitely exchange emails. Please write a tweet to me. I'm always, I always love talking Star Trek, Marvel stuff, DC stuff, anything nerdy. I'm all about it. That's my life. So hit me up. Let's let's start some conversations. Wonderful. Well, uh, we are going to be getting back on track in terms of our collaboration with the Trek Geeks. We have a couple other uh, possible collaborations with a few other podcasts coming up as well. That we're oh really- snap. Yeah. Oh, snap. We've got some ideas. And again, terribly sorry, guys, we were taking so long on all the things. But this summer was very busy for Shashank and me. So we'll we'll be back in the fall with some more episodes coming down the pike to you all. So until then, we hope that you live long and prosper. And the chair outranks the badge. I mean, and onward to Star Side. <laughs>